I'm not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? What a great promise, the truth that he's always with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. I want to make an announcement this morning because I'm very proud of this. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the Tackett family is growing again. And the LaBelles are with child. <laughs> so just thought I'd make that announcement. Yeah, keep them in your prayers as they, uh, as they continue to um, take care of this little one. I know Caitlin's being proactive about uh, all kinds of things and, and Ryan's helping. Remind her uh, to fast as he fasts and prays and... Just thought I'd throw that in there, son. And, uh, but I, I'm, I'm excited for them and, and the journey that God's going to take them on. Today will be the last of the Old Testament series uh, as we continue to talk about God's story through God's people. And I thought I would do something just a little bit different and maybe highlight some Old Testament uh, characters. And uh, today we're going to be looking at Joseph, who is a man of faith integrity and grace and God just kind of laid this on my heart last night and so I hope I'm able to communicate and I don't know who this is for but um, you know I I changed some stuff up in regard to uh, who I was going to speak about but I was standing out there last evening and the Lord said Joseph I said what he said Joseph I said okay so we're going to talk about Joseph today and what that looks like in the scriptures because I believe if there was a godly man that we could look at and see I think it was Joseph of the Old Testament also, uh, you know, last evening was uh, what a great time. And I just want to publicly thank uh, Trish and our New Hope for Recovery team. Uh, just from my heart to all of you, thank you so much for what you do and how it impacts our community and what it does for people. Listen, church, and I mean this. If, if I, I really feel this way. And I know we've had our recovery program here for probably 15 years out of the 17 years since we started the church and we had celebrate recovery at one point but i do believe that it's a very important part of every ministry of every church of the community because i believe that people are having struggles on every level just think about this just losing a loved one to addiction or even walking through some type of habit or hurt or hang up whatever you might have satan wants to divide not just your family But he wants to divide the church. He wants to divide the world. I mean, Jesus uh, came, and we know what John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And then Romans 5.8 says, But God commended his love. God demonstrated his love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. All of this was demonstrated out of love. For the same reason, for the parents that are here, and Joanne spoke last evening, and... uh, if, if you've lost a child to addiction, you understand that love. But I need to reinforce something and encourage all of you to know this. That no matter what injustice has been done in your life, God has shown you grace and mercy. You know, I've, I've been before and, and stood before so many caskets and urns of young adult people. From the ages of 18 to the age of 70, 
and knowing that addiction is not a respecter of persons. It can happen to anybody at any time, all the time. Because you see, Satan is like a roaring lion seeking about whom he may devour. How can you devour something? The only way you can ever devour something is if you're weak. So if you are the weakest person, then Satan's going to come after you. You have to remember that. So stay stay strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So we need to stay strong in the Lord and understand that if you don't want to be devoured, stay in the word. Fellowship. Go to New Hope for recovery. Go to church. You know, be in prayer. Have that personal relationship. I was standing next to a a lady who was going through depression. And what you need to understand as well, and this is not part of my sermon, but I'm going to tie it all in together today because I told you God has something to say. But one thing that we miss, I believe, in uh, recovery is behavioral counseling. Correct, Trish? You see it as a director and as overseeing it. Many that deal with any type of addiction might have had some form of emotional, mental uh, exhaustion. Uh, they deal with depression. And so whatever that is, and I believe that there are now uh, ministries and facilities to help people recover. And that was so impressive to me last evening as I was here because I know that, and I've watched it, I've been by uh, folks that have lost a loved one and they've, they've, drunk, they've drank themselves to a place of drunkenness because they said, I can't deal with the pain of loss. See, there are triggers and Satan knows that. But again, remember in those weaknesses, how is it that you're going to be the godly individual, the godly woman or godly man and overcome those temptations in your life? young man that was here last evening who, you know, he started speaking and I had, took everything within me not to lose or not to, see, I'm already getting a little bit emotional here, not to lose myself in the midst of his own testimony. But why, Pastor, why would you say that? Because the last time I saw this young man, he was coming through the backyard of a home of a gentleman that used to attend our church, he and his wife, and he was stoned out of his mind. And so when I walked up to him and I said, do you remember? He said, no, pastor, I don't remember. He wouldn't remember, right? Because he couldn't remember just to the place where he went. So here's the thing. If you say, well, this doesn't apply to me. This isn't a part of my family. See, we're so far disconnected. It, it, it isn't us, it, but it is. It is our families. We have to be very careful because it's within every family. I have addiction in my family. It's real church. But what are we going to do to combat that? And then when you hear a young man who gets up and shares his story, his God story, then you want to do backflips and, and I wanted to run around and I wanted to go high-five him and then I wanted to put him in a big headlock and hug him. And, you know, because why? Because I prayed for that young man. I prayed for him, and little did I realize that God had already started moving in his life, but there was this disconnect. So many of you know that when Matt passed away, his wife was Karen, and they were very active members of our church. But I just wish that Matt would have been able to get into some good therapy because he took his life. And we all miss him, and those that knew Matt was an active part of this church. God took a, what, 32-year-old young man from us but it's okay because he's walking the streets of gold and he's having the time of his life our loss is heaven's gain 
but things trigger us. And it was during that time that I saw Kenny. And so last evening I said, Kenny, I need you to come next week and share God's story. Would you do that? He goes, I would be honored. So he'll be with us as well because, you know, I, I know that God answered my prayers. You know, when you think that somebody walks into New Hope for Recovery, now think about this. When someone walks into New Hope for Recovery, you're saying to yourself, oh, look at them. You know, Kenny said it best. I judge people and I was them. I judge people and I'm one of them. That doesn't even make any sense, does it? By the way, I was digging Kenny's, wait till you guys see his mohawk. And he's got all these colors in it. He's, he's such a cool kid. I mean, but to me, I love what God is doing and how the power of the Holy Spirit is upon him. He is anointed. And you guys will not want to miss the stories. We have four stories next week that are going to be shared from different perspectives that I really want you to hear and see what God's doing and what ha- God has done in the lives of people. Because that's, isn't that why we're here? Listen, I'm standing up here by the grace of God. You're sitting in this nice, cool, uh, chilled out building because God provided But how does God provide? God provides by the means of his faithful stewards. And so, you know, Kenny changed his life. And I'm giving, this is just kind of an introduction to him coming next. We don't want to have to say all this stuff, right? Because we won't have time for that. But what God did in his life is he changed him from an addict to, you know, a child of the Most High God. Who he gives all the credit to. And you know what he said over and over? Humility, 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 humble, 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 humility, humility. He goes, that's how I live my life. Because I can't do it without Christ. I can't do it without Jesus. So when they walk in here and people come to New Hope for Recovery or any type of recovery program, listen, there is hope. You know why I know that? Because in Isaiah 55, 11, it says this, that his word will not come back void, but it will prosper thereto which I sent it. Which means when we speak the word, because the Bible says there's life and death in the power of the tongue. So when we speak over people, when we speak Jesus over somebody, we know that it went into the universe and went to the throne room of God and he heard it and our petitions were lifted up and then God gets to do what he wills in his time to do it. But, you know, this past week I was thinking something and, and maybe you've heard this phrase, but I know it was just me. But I thought, you know, what is it that God does in the midst of our adversity? that pushes us to a place where we feel, you know, most vulnerable. And here's what he does. He'll continue to keep the injustice and adversity in your life, the offenses in your life, and some of the issues in your life to do what? To bend you and to push you to a place of humility, which is on your knees before him, crying out and saying, God, I need you today more than I've ever needed you. You know... Isn't it amazing when the finances are good and when the business is good and the workplace is good and the kids are good and everybody's good? We all do this. Life is good. I don't need to get on my knees. We ask sometimes, and I'm not sitting here saying to each and every one of you that, oh, okay, uh, you know, you need to be in the position you're in just so that because you need to be closer to the Lord. I'm not saying that. Only God knows what is best for you. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Amen. I think that's 1 Corinthians 10.31. I'm not sure, but I think it's in there. And, uh, but whatever we do, we need to do for the glory of God. No matter what you're going through, how it looks, or what, you, what you're experiencing, God is going to move in your life. Listen, 
I believe that through God's stories, and, and, and this man of Joseph, who was a man of faith, of integrity, and of grace, I believe that he was a man who experienced so much injustice, it was almost unbelievable. And you ask, why did God do that? Because God prepositioned him already. There was already favor in his life. And God said, well, you know what? As a teenage boy, I think he was 17 years old when they threw him in the pit, and his brothers got jealous of him because he had found favor with his own father. And so... You know, they said, I know what we're going to do. We're going to sell him off. Actually, they wanted to kill him, but they ended up selling off Joseph. And so Joseph, through that first part of injustice, he then started, you know, like, what do I need to do? Well, he was in a pit long enough to realize that I need to cry out to God. And then he was removed from that pit, and God started to show favor. See, it's obedience, and, and I think that in our own walk in Christ... It's more obedience than it is anything. And I think that's what Joseph did, even though I set up there it's faith, integrity, and grace. But I believe that he had faith in it. So if you'll turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 45. He's standing next to this lady, and as you're turning to Genesis 45, verse 8. This lady was standing next to me. She moved in, and, and she made this comment. She said, uh, Trish was my sponsor, and we've worked through some stuff. And she's always telling me about her Jesus. And I said, well, you need to have Jesus. She goes, I know that's part of my problem. I have faith, but I, you know, I deal with depression. I deal with these things and so on and so forth. And she said, even though I was raised uh, Catholic, she said it was very difficult for me to, to understand what is Trish talking about. And I did one of these numbers. And she was standing next to me out here last night. And we were listening to Kenny. I leaned down and I said, that's because you experienced religion. Now... You need a relationship. You have to have a relationship with Jesus. You can't get through life without that relationship. Joseph knew that. He was in a pit and he needed to have that relationship with his father, which was God. It says here in verse 8, So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. He sent me here. Not you, and he is not the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace, and the governor of all Egypt. So it was God who sent me here. Why don't you look to the person next to you and say, hey, God sent me here. I'm, or you could do it with a little English, and you go, hey, God sent me here. Okay. I'll stop. Ryan, can you do that? That was the Bronx. That was mafia. I said English. Ain't God sent me here. Do you have your concealed to carry, sir? Just kidding. All right. So whenever a person is chosen to be the subject for a sermon... On godly men, it is usually, and, and a lot of times when people will see this, it's normally Joseph. And I'm no different than anyone else because he's my idea of the ideal man of God. And so today I want to make this our focus. And I, I know that, that Joseph truly is a, a godly man because we live in an age when it's difficult to identify truly what is a godly man. What is the ideal man of God? And what should a godly man or a godly woman, what should she be like? So much of what we're told in the media about good men doesn't line up with the Word of God. So today, 
what we're going to do is we're going to look in the Bible and using Joseph as our example to see if we can find out what it takes to be that godly individual, that godly man. Joseph was a man that God used and his life represented that, which I thought was this profound. And yet, as I was studying last evening and writing some things down and going over this message, my thought was this. Wow, God, I guess this was more for me than maybe it would be for anybody else. Because I think we're all challenged on what is a godly man. Many of you may have known somebody that was godly in your life, maybe a godly woman or man. And maybe for some of you, maybe you've had some sons that you raised and they turned out to be godly men or godly women. But let me tell you, it is impossible to, it's impossible to be a godly man unless you are influenced by a wife, a mother, or a grandmother who were godly women. This past week I had the privilege, I was, I was actually in the garage and the guys were working and I just felt this need to go and I went and sat on the, on the porch and picked up the phone and I called my mom. And when I called her I said, you know mom, what are you doing? She goes, I'm watching TV and I said, I just need to tell you something and maybe I don't say this very often to you but I just want to say thank you for being a good mom. Thank you for all that you've done in my life. Thank you for influence. Thank you for taking me to church. And I'm glad that you accepted Christ because at nine years of age, I accepted Jesus. And I said, if it wasn't for you, I would have never come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I would have never been baptized. I would have never surrendered to preach. And thank you for always loving me unconditionally. Thank you for caring for me. Thank you for looking out for me. Thank you for the unconditional love and the sweet spirit that you've always had. And I used to call her when I was a little boy, Sergeant Carter. You know, when you have six kids... You have to be an enforcer, you know, and so, but, but mom was, mom is gentle now and, and she's a sweet lady. And she said to me, she said, son, you don't have to thank me. I need to thank you. I said, thank me for what? You're the one that did all that. You made me a part of your life. So thank you for being a part of mine. And we've lived a good life together. You know, mom's 80 years old and, you know, I'm grateful for that. But I'm thankful for a mother who taught me those principles of, of faithfulness. I didn't say she was all things. But I know this, that, you know, we were at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Thursday visitation. Isn't it amazing? Four times throughout the course of the week, we have a difficult time coming to church once a week. But I'm, I'm thankful for her character and her being such a godly woman to, to help me. And, you know, mom has... Uh, lived with a lot of guilt because of divorce and so forth. But uh, you know what? That's under the blood. Praise God. Uh, you know, when I look at Joseph, I think of a, a man who had natural abilities that people really, truly admired about him. And, uh, you know, the Bible says that he was a smart, good-looking, educated, and well-mannered. And he began life with a great future ahead of him. But the sad part of it was his world began to unravel. And his life, which at one time was so very promising, changed suddenly and be, became plagued with danger. And there were harsh conditions that uh, stir up even our sympathy. However, despite the circumstances of his life, he displayed godly, godly qualities that demand our imitation. 
And as we look at Genesis, we need to realize that Moses was actually the biblical writer who tells the story of Joseph. I'm not going to go through all 13 chapters this morning because of the sake of time. But I think it's important to note that Moses thought it important to highlight this man. He's not only mentioned in the Old Testament as, as a great deal of information, but he's also mentioned in the New Testament. He was certainly a man who had great faith in God, and he lived like a godly man despite the many difficulties he encountered. His story begins in the land of Canaan. Joseph was his father's favorite son. And his father showed his favoritism in many ways. He let Joseph stay at home while his brothers had to run around and work and take care of all of the farm and became farmhands. Yet he gave him a beautiful multicolored coat that set him apart from his brothers. This morning, I know some of you have seen it and I almost wore my, my coat of many swirls that my father gave to me. It almost sounds like a song, doesn't it? That coat of many... Oh, sorry, I've all stopped. From the 50s, and I was so proud of that when he handed that to me when I was 15 years old that I have wore it several times. I didn't break it out today, but it meant a lot to me. And it meant a lot to me because he handed me that coat. And I felt a little bit set apart, right? In some ways, old Jacob was responsible for Joseph's brothers becoming jealous of his privileges and for their plan to do what? To kill him. To get rid of him. But instead of killing him, they decided to make a profit and they sold him to some Ishmaelite merchant and he soon became a slave in Egypt. Now many of us would be like, wow, can you imagine? Look at how this is all playing out, man. How, how unfortunate for him. A guy who has favor, not only favor with his father, but favor with his heavenly father. That it was very interesting. So his story continues to be a mixture of sorrow and happiness and concludes with a great reunion with his family, which we'll get to. Yet this morning, let's consider the godly qualities of Joseph's life. And I want you to follow with me in Genesis chapter 45, verse 1, as we read together. And we'll read through verse 15. But as you, if, if some of you are still looking at this time in his life, he is second in command in Egypt. Only Pharaoh himself has more power. Just kind of setting up some tone here before I read it. And Joseph is at home in Egypt and his 11 brothers have been brought to him. Now remember, time has passed and things are going on. He knows who they are, but they haven't even recognized who Joseph is. And wound up selling him into slavery. You know, his brothers, were, they plotted to go after him. So let's read together and we'll see what happens when Joseph confronts his brothers after many years of distance and uh, separation. Verse 1 says this, Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, Out, all of you, out, every single one of you Egyptians, out. And he said to his attendants, Out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then in verse 2 it says this, Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly that Egyptians could hear him, and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. Now I'm going to just pause right there. He wept so loud that they could hear him abroad. I had to just stop right there and think to myself. He asked everybody to leave. His brothers had no clue who he was, 
But I truly believe that the emotion, a lot of emotion, come on, do you understand the separation that he had from his father all those years? That he wept. It doesn't say that he just cried. So my thought was, here was a man who just wept so loud that they all heard him. Was it because he was angry? Was it because for the first time in his life, he could go, and it just came out of him? Have you ever cried so hard that you just felt like that emotion just kind of came out of you? Remember when my dad was passing, and I remember walking out to the pond, and I remember, you know, he he went off. I mean, he was not gone. I mean, this was... uh, a few days before it passed, but the ambulance came and got him. And I remember weeping so loud that it was at that moment that I really do believe that my grief came out of me and I was able to expel a lot of that pain that was there. And yet I knew the comforter was with me during that pain. And if you've ever experienced loss in your life of a loved one, you'll understand what grief and mourning is about. But I felt like when I was reading this, even this morning I even, you know, you turn on your Bible app and they're reading it to you. A lot of times I'll do that just so that I can hear it. But as he, as I heard that scripture, my mind went right back to, and they all Heard him weep like that where he couldn't regain his composure. What a measure of love. Reminds me of Jesus when he was at the tomb of Lazarus when he said Jesus wept. Let me stay on point here. Verse 3. I am Joseph. He said to his brothers, is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. And he said to them, please come closer. So they came closer and he said again, I am Joseph. I'm your brother whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravished the land for two years will last five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you. And your family's alive and to preserve many survivors. So in verse 8 it says this. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. I'm going to stop. We're going to go back to verse 7. Let me just paraphrase here. I think we need to understand What was going on? There was a worldwide famine that was going on, and only Egypt was blessed by God with bountiful harvests. The nations were first forced to come to Egypt for food, and they paid a high price for it. Old Jacob had sent his sons to Egypt to buy food for their families because Canaan was hit hard by the famine. And they were all going to starve unless they could get what they needed in Egypt and from the Egyptians. So we read verse 8. It says, So it was not really you, but God who had me come here. And he has made me a father of Pharaoh, Lord of all of his household, and ruler over the whole land. And we need to understand that in verse 8, this is a very, very important part of Scripture. Because you can start to see that Joseph's faith can be seen as he tells his brothers that God used their evil act for his purpose. I want to just stop there. There is so much I need to say today. Is it okay to spend some time and say it? So Speak it, yep. So here it is. Explain life circumstances. 
So here it is. He's going through some issues in his life. And it said God used their evil act for his purpose. Did you ever think that maybe through your addiction that God took some of the evil acts and some of your past for his purpose? To redefine your life? He put you down this path. It wasn't by any accident. You know what Kenny told me? He said, you know, Pastor Todd, he said, here's the thing. I went back to Karen's house. I stayed with Karen for two weeks. Remember, I prayed to be arrested. I got arrested. And when I got out of jail, I called Karen up on the phone and said to my sister, would you take me in? And she said, no, I'm not taking you in. He goes, what do you mean? He said, so I called my mom and dad and said, would you take me in? They said, no, we're not taking you in. Are you crazy? Yeah, he was crazy. And it was right at that moment he said, I need to do something. He said, I, I was homeless. I spent the night in my, my car. And that's how I ended up in recovery. He said, had it not been for the no, I wouldn't be here today. And I'm here to tell you, I would not be here today. But you see, the circumstances, sometimes we go through injustices. Sometimes we go through adversity. And then we, we feel at this moment in life like, wow, this is, this is heavy. This is deep. And we lose those relationships. Yet this is how actually Joseph was brought to Egypt was because of his injustices. Then God continued to guide his life as he went from a servant in the house of Potiphar to a long stay in prison until finally becomes a ruler in Egypt. And in that high position of authority, he was able to help his family. All 70 souls who made up of his father's family would go into Egypt. Isn't that amazing? But watch this. They would come out some 400 years later, a great nation, to close to 3 million. Wow. So let's begin again. Let's go to verse 9. Now hurry back to my father and tell him. This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me a master over all the land of Egypt, so come down to me immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen. Where you can be near me with all your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and everything you own. I will take care of you there. For there are still five years of famine ahead of us. Otherwise you, your household and all your animals will starve. Then Joseph added, look, you can see for yourselves and so can my brother Benjamin that I really am Joseph. Continue to say, so go tell my father. Of my honored position here in Egypt. Describe for him everything you have seen. And then bring my father here quickly. Weeping with joy. So I think he took his crying. Of heaviness. Of anger. Probably animosity. And yet now the scripture says. He's now weeping with joy. He embraced Benjamin. And Benjamin did the same. Then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely with him. Joseph truly is an example of a godly man. There are three things about Joseph's life, and I'm going to say this quickly, which I believe should be present in the life of every godly man or woman. There are a godly person forgives injustices. A godly person forgives injustices. Number two, a godly person 
withstands adversity. A godly person withstands adversity. And then number three, a godly person resists temptation. So let's begin by seeing how he dealt with the injustice. Joseph suffered numerous injustices first. His brothers did what? They mistreated him. They put him in a large pit and threatened to leave him to die. Later, they sold him to some slave traders, and these traders turned him, sold him to Potiphar, an official in the Egyptian government. Second, Joseph was treated unfairly by Potiphar's wife. We know the story. She lied and accused him of molesting her. That led to him being thrown into prison with little hope of ever getting out. And then third, while Joseph was in prison, he did a favor for Pharaoh's baker, his keeper. The baker promised to bail Joseph out of prison, but later forgot him. And then Joseph's story continues one injustice after another, after another, after another. But what we need to understand is this. Joseph suffered many injustices because he forgave each injustice. So even when Joseph rose to a position of power in the land of Egypt, he did not seek vengeance. Have you ever been there? I have been. He forgave those who had treated them and him unfairly. The mercy he showed to his brothers, the love he showed to his brothers was a prime example of how we should forgive others. We read that then Joseph had kissed all his brothers, crying over each of them, and only then were his brothers able to talk with him. The best way to deal with injustice is to do as Joseph did, overcome evil with good. When we were singing the one song and it said in there, overcome evil with good, man, it, it really convicted me. So listen, this message I told you was for me. I have to practice a lot of these principles that are so difficult right now in my own personal life. So I said, Lord, is there a reason why we're preaching on this today? Just being real and transparent. Because sometimes it's difficult to overcome evil with good. We must resist the impulse to do what? To retaliate. But instead we should do good to those who do evil to us. You see, our life is on exhibit before a watching world. So we need to have a life that has been transformed through what? The faith in Christ. Because people are watching. Jesus never promised us a life without hardships. Actually, he said this. There would be persecution and troubles for the child of God. In this world you will have troubles, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. And then he also said, my grace is sufficient for you. Number two. And our second point is this. A godly person will not only forgive injustice, he will also withstand adversity. Justice. We all want justice. Yet Joseph suffered injustices, plural. But he also knew adversity. Joseph's story is filled with physical and yet mental hardship. Joseph, he knew the sting of disappointment more than anyone. And as a young man who was filled with dreams of the future, his ambition was stifled when he was sold as what? He was sold as a slave. He loved his brothers. He cared for his brothers. But they acknowledged to his face that they hated him and wanted to kill him. What a, what a difficult place to be in, right? See what happens when greed and jealousy, self-centeredness comes into your life? You no longer love somebody. Because you want to be vengeful. 
You want a revenge and you want to go after them to kill them and to destroy them. Well, I think that Joseph knew he had an accountability not just to others, but more importantly, he was a godly man and he had it towards God. He knew where his accountability was at. Potiphar's wife became so outraged by his rejection and her advances that she lied to her husband to get her revenge. Joseph had made friends in the, in the jail with the king's baker while he was in prison and the baker promised to help him out when he got out. But when he was released from prison, you know the rest of the story, like Paul Harvey says, he refused to keep the promise he made to Joseph. Amazing. Joseph could have easily grown bitter and resentful after living as a prisoner and a slave. And this man, Joseph, knew the meaning of hardship. But church, I want each and every one of you to know this. You are not exempt. You are not exempt from hard times in your life. The Apostle Paul was another person who could talk about the hard times. And I want you to pull up uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. And I want to read this to you because I really, and if you're falling asleep this morning, and if you're nodding off, I want you to listen what it's like when hardship comes in your life. What is it like when you start to feel like hardship is just too much for me? I can't do this any longer. Paul is reminding us what he had gone through in this letter to the Corinthian church. Now listen to how profound this is. What he went through for the cause of Christ because he picked up the cross to follow Jesus. As the servants of Christ. I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities and the deserts and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked so hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty, and I've often got gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. That was Paul, the great apostle of Christ, describing, describing the suffering and the pain that he had endured for Christ's sake. In church, we must learn to withstand hardships without allowing our spirit to turn sour. But here's what I believe. Here's what I believe, and I'm going I'm to say this quickly for all of you. It's a secret to Joseph's victorious life. He saw adversity as part of God's plan. He viewed it, he viewed his hardship as part of God's plan. See, here's what he said in Genesis 45, 5 through 8. And he said this to his brothers. 
And you heard me read. But don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years. And there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. Joseph was 17 years old when he was brought into Egypt. And now he stands before his brothers and makes this great statement. Now he's 39 years old and he's been living in the land of Egypt for 22 years. Amazing to think that that distance and that separation was there, yet he sees God's hand and all that happened to him. So church, I'm going to say this today. We need to evaluate hardships from a biblical perspective, realizing that God's plan is bigger than ours. Amen? Realizing that God's plan is bigger than ours. We need to remember that sometimes God is the one who brings the hardships for our own good. And even when God doesn't bring the troubles, he may not remove them. Instead, he just might leave them there. He didn't remove Paul's thorn in the flesh, but he did give him the grace to live with it. I love what my pastor used to tell me all the time. He's like, listen, brother Todd. You'll always have that thorn in the flesh. Do you want to remove it? Because you might get the whole pricker bush. I went, and did you have to say that to me? Because I'm, I'm having a hard time dealing with this right now. You know, isn't it funny? Because that, you know, the other day I was, uh, I was out in the garage and I picked up this screw and then there was an ant. So I pinched the ant. Not realizing when I pinched the ant to kill it, yes, I killed the ant. I hope we're not any ant, ant lovers in here. Okay, just wanted to make sure. And when I went like this, I was like, ow! I didn't realize that when I picked up the screw, a little piece of that screw went in my finger. I know. As my girls used to say, my singer's hurting, Dad. I said, you have a singer? Is that a singer or a finger? Anyhow, so I looked at my singer, and I said, finger, why are you hurting so bad? Now, now what's weird is that went straight to my brain. It said there's pain there, and I looked down, and there was a piece of that metal that was still in my finger. Just from picking it up, my wife's showing all kinds of sympathy up here. She's like, oh, look at you. Bless your heart. Anyhow, you know, so, but a thorn in the flesh could do the same thing. We know that we're, as the Bible says, buffeted. We know that that thorn in the flesh is going to come, but we have to also realize that there's a way of escape. Amen. There's a way for God to take care of it, to get rid of that thorn in the flesh. We know all things work together for good to them that love the Lord are called according to his purpose. I wasn't leaving that in my finger. I removed it. I got rid of it. And now I have no pain. That's what it's about. But that's what happens in our life. Sometimes God allows those things in our life so that we can feel a little bit uncomfortable. So it brings us back and restores us back to that fellowship and that relationship. I look at Joseph and I think, yeah, he might have been a godly man. But, you know, here's reality. He's going to go through the same very things that we go through. Paul said the same thing. I'll always have this thorn in my flesh. And then my last point, and I'm closing. And it is this. That a godly person resists temptation. Here's this guy. Genesis 39 verse 21. I don't have that here. It says that he, you know, I'm just, I'm going to read this to you. Something that I, I was reading this morning in, in my devotion. It said, one thing that I thought was really cool. 
in the text. And I want to go back here to Genesis 29, and then I'm going to close with this. So I'll forget my other notes, but I'm going to say something about his temptation. I love this, and I wrote this back on my Bible because I think I preached it about 10 years ago. Joseph didn't say to Potiphar's wife, listen, I'd be hurting you or I'd be sinning against Potiphar or I'd be sinning against myself. He didn't rationalize if he decided to allow temptation into his life, right? He rejected it because he knew his relationship with the father. And here's what he says in the word. He said, I then would be a disappointment to God. I would disappoint God if I fell into temptation. And it says that even though he was cast into prison, two years later in verse 21 of of 39, it says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. It says he always had favor with God. Why? Because he made the right choices and when we make right choices we start to see the favor of god and so he was even saying listen i want freedom i need to resist temptation and we know he was a handsome man it says it in the bible and she was after him and yet he had to spend time in prison but reality is is church listen we need to escape and understand That there's no such thing as temptation that has overcome us. We can say, get behind me, Satan, for thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and only him shalt thou serve. And so we can serve the Lord and worship the Lord. And I'm going to say this in closing. Would you like somebody to say about you, he sure is a godly man. She sure is a godly woman. Who's that role model in your life? Who's that good role model in your life? Joseph's life is truly a good example for each and every one of us. And if you try to imitate godly qualities, you'll know how to be a good person. But even better than following Joseph's example is truly having a relationship with Joseph's God. And the way to open up your life to God is believing in His Son and accepting Him as Savior. And that's how to become a child of God. Listen, Kenny said to me, he said, Preacher, and he was getting his hot dog right before he left. I was out there talking to him. He said, Preacher, I would not have ever been able to overcome my addiction if I didn't come to know Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Is He personal to you? Have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you said, God, here I am. Use me, mold me, make me, reshape me. How can you make that applicable this week? Just like in the story of Joseph. We know that there's injustices. We know that we're all, we, we all face some type of trial and tribulation in our life. We've all been there, right? Because we live in a world that's sinful. And yet, we know the enemy is after God's children. But where are you in your relationship with Him? Then I'm going to make... Make this somewhat more personal for you. Have you ever knelt at an altar? Have you ever prayed at an altar? Have you ever bent the knee and said, God, I am here, I'm going to humble myself. And you'll hear Kenny say this next week, but when Kenny said to me, he said, you know, Pastor, I had to practice humility. 
I had to be humble. Isn't that amazing? You have, we all have to practice humility in our daily walk of life. Listen, I want to be proud too. I've been called arrogant. I've been called names. I've been called all kinds of things. We've all been there. We've all, you know, it's somebody's perspective of us. But I've also said, wow, you have a light around you. Wow, you really represent Jesus. Wow, I thank you for the love of Christ that you show. I'd much rather hear that than the other. But am I, am I challenged in my own walk? Yes. Have I made mistakes? Yes. But I do believe that we all need to become obedient to the, to the cross of Christ, to the love of Christ. We all need to get on our hands and knees and say, God, help us to take what you meant for good to stay for good. Because Satan wants so badly to screw up our whole life. Maybe you've been struggling in your marriage. Maybe you've been struggling financially. Maybe you've been hurt by somebody. Do what he did. Show love and forgiveness. And there's freedom. I had to tell myself this morning, and I'm going to remind myself, thank you, Lord, for this message. I want to be like Joseph. I want to live to love. I want to forgive, even when I don't want to forgive. I'm going to try to practice this over and over and over and over and over because it's very hard. Because you know what? I want to be more obedient to Christ than to man. Really. Because it doesn't matter. I need to forgive them. It's more for me than it is for them. It's more for you, church, than it is for them. Just let go and let God. Let's rise to our feet. Father, I I love you and I thank you, Lord, for your love. I thank you that today, Lord, here we are. I could probably spend four hours on Joseph. Lord, sometimes it's difficult to sum up 40 minutes or 30 minutes just how you used a man to be obedient and to love you and to, to give up his life for you. And Lord, I... I'm thankful for all that he went through. I can't even imagine. We make it look like it's such a short amount of time, two years. Two years is a long time to be incarcerated. But it was during that time that, Lord, you showed your grace. You showed your love and mercy and provision in Joseph's life. So, Father, I pray that many of us will forgive the injustices that have been done to us. Lord, that you'll help us to withstand the adversity that is brought in our direction. And Lord, in those moments when we feel tired and weak, and Satan knows that, that Lord, you'll help us to resist temptation and overcome evil with good. Because we know all things work together for good to them that love God for each and every one of us that are called according to your purpose. So, Father, what we pursue becomes our purpose. And, Father, we, we pursue you. We pursue holiness and righteousness. Help us to be godly men, godly women, godly children. God, help us to be more like you and less like us. Father, if there's somebody today that does not know you as Lord and Savior... Today's their day of salvation. May they ask Christ into their heart and into their life. May they give you their all. May they admit and believe and confess that you are Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Father, again, forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
In your holy name we pray. Amen and amen.